Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Yeager. And I'm Lisa Carrico. We're program directors for Missouri Humanities. And we're so excited to bring you our latest episode of Eat, Think, and Be Merry. This podcast is part of our 2022 signature series. And throughout this year, we'll feature food thinkers and other special guests with exciting, inspiring, and downright delicious stories as we consider the role food plays in shaping our society, how it connects us to each other, to our own pasts and identities, and to the world around us. We invite you to feed your mind and join us around the table as we host conversations that explore Missouri's foodways and edible history to celebrate the breadth and depth of Missouri's cultural heritage, natural environment, and the relationship between food and the human experience. Welcome everyone, thank you for tuning in. I'm Caitlin Yeager, and I'm really excited to share this latest episode with you all. It's a little bit different from our past two episodes in that we're sharing a recording of a live program we hosted in April. Lisa, can you tell our listeners about the program they're about to listen to? Yes, of course. Each year, we partner with restaurants and breweries throughout the state to host Think and Drink events to engage Missourians in a thought-provoking discussion over a pint of beer or beverage of choice. This episode is a live recording of a recent Think and Drink we held on April 20th at Mother's Brewing Company, an independent craft brewery in the heart of downtown Springfield, Missouri. We hosted this event as a kickoff to our fifth annual Humanities Symposium held at Drury University, a private liberal arts college in town. To coincide with our 2022 signature series, which I'm sure you all know by now examines the intersection of food and humanities. The symposium, Humanities and Food, Sustenance and Sustainability in Our Communities, focused on the way that sustainable and local food growing and sharing build community, heal the earth, and sustain connection and collaboration. It was a great day of listening and learning. So the Think and Drink was held the night before our symposium and echoed the theme by featuring a conversation with three local restaurateurs who are paving the way for how we think about the relationship between food, community, sustainability, and cultural ties. I don't know about you, Lisa, but this was such a rich and inspiring discussion. It was one of those programs that just really made you want to go out and support local restaurants and businesses and be more involved in your community. I completely agree. In the heart of the Ozarks, Springfield is Missouri's third largest city and a regional hub with large city amenities and small town hospitality. According to the Springfield Convention and Visitors Bureau, the city offers more than 800 restaurants, ranging from family style to fine dining to farm to table, and is home to the world-famous Springfield-style cashew chicken, the city's signature dish. For a modest-sized city, there's really no shortage of unique, community-driven restaurants and innovative chefs. I would dare to say... Springfield's collection of unique independent restaurant compares favorably to many larger cities. And Caitlin, that's why I'm excited for you to tell our listeners a little bit about our panelist. Yes, this was a great group, and I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to moderate the panel discussion, which included Dr. Lyle Foster, 
a professor of sociology at Missouri State University and the owner of local coffee shop Big Mama's Coffee and Espresso Bar in Queen City Soul Kitchen. Also, there was Jenny Boosie, who co-owns Blue Heron Farm and Bakery, as well as the All Weather Cafe at the Farmer's Market of the Ozarks. And then finally, Daniel Ernst, head chef and co-owner of Progress Restaurant. All three of them added so much perspective and passion to this conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you all. I agree. It was such an interesting conversation. We had an audience that was really engaged and asked lots of great questions. We hope you enjoy this episode and find the conversation as delectable as we did. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this evening's event. I'm Lisa Carrico. I'm a program director for the Missouri Humanities. We are a member-supported organization, and our mission is dedicated to enriching lives and strengthening communities by connecting Missourians with the people, places, and ideas that shape our society. In 2022, we have been hosting our signature series called Eat, Think, and Be Merry. Throughout the year, we've had conversations that explore Missouri's foodways and edible history to celebrate Missouri's cultural heritage, natural environment, and the relationship between food and the human experience. How it connects us to each other, to our own past and identities, and to the world around us. Each month's programming centers around a food-related theme presented through a humanities lens. Tonight's event kicks off our fifth annual symposium. Raise your hand if you're going tomorrow. Woo, okay. Uh, the symposium's name is Humanities and Food, Sustenance and Sustainability in Our Communities, and we'll focus on the ways that sustainable and local food growing and sharing build community, heal the earth, and sustain connection and collaboration. Tonight's Think and Drink echoes this theme with a conversation with three local restauranteurs who are paving the way for how we think about the relationship between food, community, sustainability, and cultural ties. I'm pleased to introduce our three panelists. Uh, in the middle there, we have Dr. Lyle Foster, an assistant professor of sociology at Missouri State University, an accredited diversity trainer, and the owner of Big Mama's Ca Coffee and Espresso Bar and Queen City Soul Kitchen. If you've ever had food there at either place, raise your beer. <laughs> He's an active member of the Greater Springfield community as a change agent and entrepreneur and has been recognized by the Springfield Business Journal and 417 Magazine as 12 people you need to know, 100 influential leaders, and a 417 hero. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, to the right of Lyle, we have Jenny Boozy, a farmer, a baker, and an espresso maker. <laughs> she co-owns Blue Heron Farm and Bakery with her husband, and together they just opened the All Weather Cafe at the Farmer's Market of the Ozarks. They strive to operate a rich and diversified farm that pro pro uh, focuses on producing staple foods to supply to the local community, all while finding inspiration in their European ties. Daniel Ernst is the head chef and co-owner of Progress. He developed a love for food at an early age, cooking with his mother. His professional career began in consulting and working with a cadre of chefs that, with varied perspectives and a Michelin-starred backgrounds. 
His eclectic culinary voice and styles are reflected of his mentors, travels, and hunger for knowledge and creativity, challenging the status quo and traditional thinking, all while highlighting local farmers and artisans. Tonight's discussion will be moderated by our very own Caitlin Yeager, fellow program director for the Missouri Humanities. Um, on each of your tables, you will find think and drink question cards. We invite you to contribute to the conversation by asking questions on those cards. Just raise them when you're finished and someone from our staff will come by and bring them to Caitlin. Um, also on your table, you will find QR codes for our post-program survey. We really appreciate your feedback. It helps us shape future programs. And lastly, if you enjoy this evening's event, make sure to visit Claire out in the lobby at our membership table, and she can let you know how to sign up to become a member and how to keep up to date for future programming. And last but not certainly least, we would like to extend a big thank you to Mother's Brewing Company for hosting us tonight. And at any time, feel free to move around, grab a drink, grab some food from the food truck, sit back, and think and drink with us. <laughs> Caitlin, it's all you. Thank you, Lisa. So I'm going to dive right into our questions here. Um, so the first uh, question I want to start off with, just to kind of set the stage for tonight, is um, ask each of our panelists to tell us a little bit about their businesses and the inspiration behind them. So um, I guess we can kind of start with Jenny and, and go down the line. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so um, we moved here from England. My husband is English. About. 10 years ago and started Blue Heron Farm and Bakery. It originally was just Blue Heron Farm. Um, everything that we have done since we've gotten here has really been led by our love of food and good food, where food comes from. Um, and we grew that into a business. So um, we have grown basically everything under the sun uh, we started off doing microgreens, and we've done egg, chicken eggs and duck eggs and lamb, beef, all kinds of produce. And we've uh, been doing business in the Springfield area for about eight years, um, selling to restaurants, retail, and we're also longtime vendors at the Farmer's Market of the Ozarks, which is a wonderful uh, food community, small business community. Um, and just recently, we, we started uh, the All Weather Cafe, which is, um, it's located at the Farmer's Market of the Ozarks. It's a pop-up espresso and pastry bar. It's a fun little place. We go there, bring all of our, our furniture and everything every week and set up, and it's just like a little cafe. So um, I guess my inspiration is probably, it comes from living in England for four years. We... Um, uh, that's where I really fell in love with food. I visited my first farmer's markets there and bakeries and butcher shops and green grocers and all kinds of fun stuff that you don't necessarily find over here. And so with everything that I do, I try to bring that, that passion and that experience to life, I guess. Good evening, everyone, and shout out to the Missouri Humanities for coming up with this very <laughs> cool event. I love that notion of thinking and drinking. And I'm so very we. honored to be with my esteemed colleagues and their really impressive backgrounds to be part of this panel tonight. I came here from Chicago 
I can't believe how many years ago that it was. But really, I would say that community was perhaps the inspiration behind the inception of Big Mama's Coffee and Espresso Bar. Um, and I actually want to just shout out to our community that because in about two weeks, Big Mama's will be 15 years old, which I cannot believe. I cannot. But thank you. But that really has been the support of this wonderful community. I thought I was simply passing through, but really the idea of Big Mamas is kind of what has anchored me and made this a new home for me. I would say that probably in those early days of the inception of Big Mamas, um, I was somewhat inspired by this guy named Howard Schultz. He is the kind of founder of that place that has the mermaid for the logo. And he wrote this book called The Third Place. And it's this idea that all of us have a third place. We've kind of got work and home. And you told me over here to look this way, so I'm looking that way. <laughs> so there's this third place. So in cities like Chicago and St. Louis, they have the neighborhood bar. <laughs> but oftentimes in European um, culture, it's oftentimes an espresso bar. It's a coffee shop. Because often, in, I went to Italy to kind of see what the scene was like. People would literally go three, four times a day to the local coffee shop getting their little espresso and all these different little beautiful drinks. And so I was inspired by this notion of creating a third place. And for those of you who are, have been in Springfield for a while, you know that 16, 17 years ago, there were a lot of things people said about Commercial Street. <laughs> and one of those was, don't go. <laughs> it's a scary place. And so they, that was a challenge, of course, in how to create a space that people would want to go. And I'm a sociologist by training, so I was really desirous of helping to build community, and I believe eating, um, that kind of a space, and communing together. And we wanted to create a space where you were more than a number, that we wanted you to feel at home. And so Big Mamas itself is really a tribute to women. So in my case, it was an aunt who had an amazing kitchen, and she lived in Washington, D.C., and she was the kind of aunt that, I'm embarrassed to tell some of the stories of her, but as a child, when your tooth was getting loose, she put a string on it and put it up around the doorknob and say, look that way. And then your tooth, you're like, that's my tooth. But she had an amazing kitchen and could cook the greatest dishes and make whatever taste extra special. And so I wanted Big Mamas to be a place where you felt at home, you could linger, you could laugh, you could read, you could study, you could cry, you could think, you could do whatever. And we wanted you to know that we valued you. So that was kind of the original notion. And I'll say more things as we go through the evening. Hi. Uh, my name's Daniel. Uh, again, the chef and co-owner of Progress. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm so happy to be here with uh, these people. Uh, I feel very honored and grateful um, that I would be on the same panel as them. Uh, also, I'm very grateful for all of you. Uh, because without all of you being here, we don't get to be here, um, and it's the same thing uh, in our places of work. Without you guys, we don't get to do with what we do. Um, so a little bit about progress. We started doing pop-ups in 2016. Uh, so basically what that means is we were running around Springfield begging people to let us use their space so that we could turn it into a restaurant for one night, uh, sell a couple tickets to it, have a great meal, experiment, have fun, and then move on to the next one. So we did that for a couple years. Actually, we had two pop-ups here at Mother's that were really special. Uh, we got to brew beer with them. It was lovely. Um, so we did that for a couple years, and we were just having fun. And for me, it was a, an opportunity for me to 
hone my voice and figure out what I like to cook and what I was bad at cooking, uh, that I needed a pastry chef. And <laughs> so over the years, we kind of gained some following and some traction and uh, ended up opening a brick and mortar space in Farmers Park in 2018. Um, and so the inspiration there, really when we started doing pop-ups was because we wanted a chance to express ourselves. We wanted a chance to uh, find our voice. We wanted the opportunity, uh, I don't think we knew this at the time, but we wanted the opportunity to fail, um, which, you know, there were some great dishes that we did over the years of the pop-ups, and there were some ones that we really cringe at in retrospect. Um, but uh, all of that was really important for our, our process to, to understand who we were and what we liked and what we wanted to contribute to the Springfield food scene. And food really is so crucial to the Springfield landscape. Uh, we have a huge or number of restaurants per capita. Uh, I've always viewed food as sort of the entertainment in Springfield. Um, people go out to eat as their event, as their thing. Um, and among many other things, um, but we always saw it as kind of the, the food event. And so our inspiration for, for opening progress was to contribute something different. Um, something that was really seasonally focused, something that would really highlight different um, ingredients throughout the year rather than having a menu that remained the same throughout the year or year after year. Um, and we wanted to, to show people that there are some really great things happening in Springfield in, in the food landscape, whether that's through our farmers, our artisans, our partners, the people that we work with. Um, you know, we wanted to show to our community that there was um, another way to dine, and we wanted to try and make a mark uh, in our, our landscape as a whole um, in Missouri to hopefully show people that there's more here than just a bunch of flyover states, um, and that, you know, Springfield really does have a great and dynamic culinary landscape. Um, so for us, it was, you know, we, we continue to stay inspired by the people around us, the artisans, the farmers, um, you know, the people in this room uh, that continue to push us forward and support us in what we do. Thank you all. Um, so in this conversation, we're hoping to highlight the work being done by restaurants and businesses to challenge the way we think about the relationship between food, community, and culture. So in your opinions and through your own experience in this industry, what role do restaurateurs or business owners play in their communities? Do they have a responsibility to be more than just a place to purchase or enjoy food and beverage. And whoever wants to take that. Well, I think Lyle did a great job hitting on that mm -hmm. in talking about the third space. Um, restaurants are, yes, that, that third space where people can go and sit down and, and have a meeting or do their homework or have a proposal or a breakup. Um, <laughs> and their, their music venues, their meeting spaces, celebration spaces, um, their education spaces. And for us, we really like to, to focus on the education piece just for our own staff. Um, we, one of the intents for opening progress was we wanted this to be a restaurant where people could have a career, not just a job. We wanted to attract people that wanted to be in food service for the long haul, just not just, you know, oh, I did this in college. Um, or not, 
working in a restaurant on their way to something else. We wanted to be able to attract people and create a space that would allow people to grow in their careers and grow in their, their skill sets and their knowledge. Um, and so we really try and impart that uh, with our, our front of house and back of house staff. Um, everything that we've learned through our years and through our mentors and through our failings, um, how we can translate that to the rest of our staff so that uh, they can have you know, a career in this and have something, have some stable ground to, to build their, their foundation on rather than, um, you know, kind of hopping from one place to another and, and hoping that they glean something. Uh, I know I've, I've definitely worked in some restaurants where uh, it wasn't, my takeaway wasn't so much uh, what someone taught me, it was what to avoid in the future. Um, and so we really want to focus on teaching people and imparting skills and knowledge and training so that they are better equipped throughout their careers. I'm firmly a believer that restaurants have a, really a responsibility to really be impactful um, for their communities, their respective communities. And I'm probably fierce about that in the sense that maybe in some cases restaurants or restaurateurs don't always even get the credit for the impact they can have in their communities. I remember, and probably my Chicago mode, um, probably a few years after Big Mamas had been open, had some wonderful students from jury. I'm looking for our jury professor. I guess she's out at the membership. Okay, table. Oh, there you go. And she came, and these students came up, and they're like, we're from the Environmental Sustainability Club. We want to know, does Big Mamas recycle? They caught me on the wrong day. <laughs> and I looked at, I probably scared them, but I said, let me tell you something. This whole building is recycled. Because literally the building that Big Mamas is located in was condemned. When I was able to get that building, it was falling apart. There was no back wall on all three floors. I look back now and said, I must have just been in a different space because anybody looking at that would have said, what are you thinking? And of course, they saw me coming. They said, here's this idiot from Chicago. These local guys said, oh, we can, we can build this out. Man, we'll get it done. But really, if you know that um, commercial streets are nationally recognized historic district, so even though there's the Missouri tax credit program, building out those spaces literally um, probably is one, one and a half to two times what it would cost to build a new building and do the same thing in. It's a very painstaking process. So you've got to love something about what you hope to do and community to be invested. I remember not only was there no wall on all three floors, you could go up barely up to the third floor because it's a three-story building built in the late 1880s and you could, you could look through the floorboards and see all the way down to the first floor. And so in those early days I was like, I've got this space and what am I going to do with it? But really I was very clear that I wanted to create um, this place called Big Mama's, the name just came to me, literally waking up one morning. And so much has happened in that space. And I'll tell you a couple, two open secrets. When we first opened up Big Mama's, I had this idea that this was going to be this, um, don't want to use the word highbrow, but this cool coffee shop. We were just going to do espresso and all of the, you know, macchiato, all these cool coffee drinks, and just a few pastries. Um, I will tell you that we actually learned that we were probably just beginning to teach coffee culture because in those early days, and this is not a dig on anybody, 
but many times customers could not even pronounce some of the names. So I always, some of you heard my story that one day I had a young man, and, well, he was a middle-aged guy in front of me, and I was working behind the counter. And he looked at me, and he says, um, I want one of those cups of coffee in a quickie. And I'm, I was looking like, I know it says Big Mama, but I, don't, I know we're not doing, you know, what? And I want to be very respectful because we wanted customers. We were very new. Um, and I was thinking, what is this man talking about? And I honestly said a short prayer, like, Lord, give me what this man is saying. <laughs> and while I was pretending to rig it up, I said, uh, I said, oh, would you like any rum for cream and um, a quiche? What kind of quiche would you like? <laughs> and I realized that's how he pronounced quiche. And I didn't want to like correct him, but just kind of gently say, we don't have quickies here, but we do have wonderful quiche. But We've actually had three churches get started in Big Mamas. We've had open mics. We've had proms from Glow. We've had baby showers, bridal showers. And so we've got what we call the, um, the back porch, which is our back room. We never realized that people would think about renting that space. After about being open about four or five months, people said, hey, how much do you charge to rent your space? I ran back to the manager, Joe, and said, hey, Joe, somebody wants to rent the back. What can we do? <laughs> and then we realized that people actually wanted to have events in our space, so that turned into a bit of an event space. And so we've been really integrated into our community. We've had open mic nights, and so all of this was generally pre-pandemic. And the first six to seven years, we were open 365, yes, I said that, 365 days a year, generally 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., with the exception of Thanksgiving Day and that day that comes in December. We closed half a day then because our notion was Big Mama is always there to see her family and to show them some love and give them something to eat. So when you talk about the responsibility for community, I think restaurateurs really are very much embedded and have done crazy things to kind of show love and appreciation for the community and obviously to draw community into their spaces. Well, and to just ride on what you said, uh, restaurateurs do do crazy things every day. Um, just by nature of being a restaurateur, you have to be a little unhinged. Um, uh, and we just do our best every day to, to keep the hinges on, I suppose. So I'll add, um, from my experience the, at the Farmer's Market of the Ozarks, um, this area is really lucky to have several very vibrant farm, farmer's markets. And it's a place where people come and meet and they can literally talk to 50 to 100 uh, individual business owners every single Saturday, face to face. And as far as running a farm and now a bakery, um, I feel like my responsibility is to really talk to people at, you know, from whatever level they're coming from, whatever knowledge base they already have about farming and baking and food in general. And it's, it's really a space where I can be open about my passion for food and, and other people can connect there too with about their passion for food. And a lot of people don't know where food comes from, how it's grown, how, you know, what it's like to be a farmer, what it's like to be a local business owner at all. And uh, it's, a really, it's a really nice open 
place to be able to do stuff like that. So. I love that. And I think um, this kind of naturally goes into this next portion, which, you know, you talk about keeping it so local and, and, and impacting your communities. But I think the, the, the flip side is that I think it's, there's no, it's no secret that it's really hard for a restaurant to focus on local, to focus on sustainable, to focus on ethical. Um, it's super expensive to run a restaurant or a bakery or a farm in general. So when you decide to prioritize keeping it local um, or having certain you know, ethics that you want to stand by, um, so some of these fragile elements that are so challenging for restaurant owners, um, can you talk a little bit about some of those, those challenges and what you do in order to prioritize those? I think that just sort of going off of what I was just saying, it's, it's really important that business owners like restaurants and, and whoever, they commit to, they commit to buying local. They commit to learning about their local farms, their, like what is even available locally, uh, looking at their menus and, and fitting that local food into the menus. Because, I mean, that food is the best quality you can find anywhere. And it's worth it, it's worth it. And you build it into what you're doing to start and maybe the prices are a little higher, but just talk to your customers and they explain to them what, you know, you're the importance of, of spending a little bit extra on that food and how much better, how much, like how unexpectedly good it's going to be. And for us, we, I buy local fruit, local eggs. I use eggs out of my own backyard. Uh, we have duck eggs right now that I just collect out in our barn and I wash them and I put them into our baked goods and it's really the best you can, you can get. And it's unexpectedly good and I think that once people experience that, they, they come back, so. I would agree, um, we talk all the time at Progress about how it's the little things that matter. And quality is, is really key to what, I think what we all do. Um, and you guys live in the world, you know how expensive things are. Um, things, in my experience, have only gone, prices have only gone one direction and that's up. Um, but a few interesting notes on that is my, my local partners, um, have really gone out of their way to keep their prices stable for restaurants like us um, and for their community, um, even though they some like they know they should charge more. They know how hard they work. They know what they're worth, um, and and we appreciate the hell out of them for that. Um, but the quality really is there. And I mean, talking about sustainability too. Um, the carbon footprint is a whole lot smaller on something that came from down the road versus from California. Um, and so that's something to consider as well. But absolutely the, the freshness and the quality and the, the relationships as well. Um, I think that also has to do with the sustainability of what we do. Um, because the relationships that I formed with with my distribu distributors and preparers and, and partners and farmers, um, you know, I've, these are relationships we've built over years and these are people I know and these are people that 
I talk to and, and enjoy. Um, and yeah, it is, it's difficult to kind of go the extra mile and to do the extra step. And um, you could one-stop shop all of your products and produce and everything from a big box company. Um, and, you know, it's, it has been frustrating for, you know, some of those big box companies because, yeah, we get flour and sugar and X, Y, Z, but um, they, they would be like, well, we, we have minimums and you're not meeting the minimum. I'm like, well, it's because I'm getting everything else here. And so are you going to work with me to continue to be my partner in this and, and give me the sort of staples I need? Um, and understand that our priority is to support as many local people as possible. Um, and so that's, that's a conversation as well. And yeah, it would probably make my life easier to be able to go one place and order everything I need and have it show up the next day. Um, but we've also just kind of never known um, another way of doing things rather than uh, talking to all dozen and a half distributors and local purveyors and all of these people to get what we need because um, the little things matter. And, you know, maybe it's not just the, the one thing in the experience that a guest is going to notice, but it's all the little things that I think work together. Um, I, I use the, the analogy of mayonnaise all the times with my cooks. I'm like, well, is anyone going to notice that you juiced the lemons today to put in the mayonnaise to make the emulsion to put on the burger like is anyone going to really notice that probably not but is it that attention to detail and that amount of care that goes into everything we do that's going to make the experience as a whole different for someone else versus going into somewhere that did get all of their things you know pre-made or from a big box company or not local or you know it's uh, care is an ingredient as much as anything else. And we kind of have an interesting take on local, on Commercial Street, because those of you who have frequented Commercial Street know that as the district has emerged, it's kind of um, fiercely loyal one to the other. And so with that in mind, um, it's really an amazing community. It's kind of very much like a main street in a small town. So we actually support one another. So um, there are seasons where we'll use Eskinosi chocolate in our drinks at Big Mama's. We'll get bread from Audison Oven. We also bake a focaccia bread in our little oven every morning, Monday through Friday. Our manager, Joe Terry, does that for 15 years. I don't know how he's done that every, every day, but we do. And of course, we have our little C Street Market that we just absolutely love. So starting a few weeks ago, we love to get as much produce as we can that we can utilize in our stores. So, and then we just are really impressed of how Springfieldians love to support local businesses. And that has been a very um, appreciated theme because on Commercial Street, we don't have any chains. And as you all said earlier, often when you go in the stores on Commercial Street, the person behind the counter is the proprietor, is the owner. So you are talking to somebody who's invested their blood, sweat, tears, and finances to make that business a reality and so I think our restaurateurs including Big Mamas we really appreciate that and we very much support that every day. So I think that that's kind of a, a natural transition into this kind of second part to this question which and, and Lyle I think of, of you talking about Big Mamas in a big way with this question and that is that 
it is absolutely no secret that at this point we're kind of living in a before and after with COVID, especially in the restaurant industry. So Lyle in particular talking about Big Mama's, a big reason for you opening a space like that was that third place. It's not home, it's not work, it's the other place. And you know, all of a sudden you're in a situation where you can't gather. And, and then you, you add the you know, added stress of you know, the other you know, people on this panel here focusing on getting local ingredients and, and trying to stay afloat with prices rising and, and the challenges that come along with that. So what are some ways that you guys have pivoted to adapt to the challenges of the last couple of years? And I think um, you know, related, what changes have you made that have now become the permanent way in which you run your business? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we do live in this sort of before and after. Um, for us, we, we think about, not to be all doom and gloom, but will there be another one? Um, and how can we be prepared? I think everyone as a, as a whole in society or in the world uh, will be more prepared should another one happen. Um, we won't be quite so caught with our pants down. Um, but, you know, providence is a word that I, I think about often, you know, being prepared for the future. Um, and it's maybe easier said than done, maybe easier thought about or uh, drank about than uh, executed on a day-to-day -day basis. But, you know, uh, as every restaurant, we've had to embrace to go. Um, which seems like you know a really low-hanging fruit, um, but you know in the in the before times, um, we were pretty choosy about the things that left our door because you know our our whole thing was quality, and we wanted we wanted people when they ordered to go food to still be able to have a good experience with that food when they got it home, um, and I would like to think that I know a little bit about food. Um, or at least enough to know like that uh, over easy eggs aren't going to be good 30 minutes later when you get them home um, or, or a scallop or, you know, these types of things. And so we were, we were pretty choosy about the things that we would let leave the restaurant in that state um, simply because we didn't want people to, to order something and pay good money for it and get it home and, and not have the experience that it was designed to, to create. Um, and I've really had to stop dying on that hill and just let people have what they want, um, you know, for better or worse. And I think, um, at least for me, I've just had to, to relinquish some of that control and, and allow people to uh, make their own decisions and not try and fight people on something uh, that isn't really worth fighting about. Um, Obviously, I would love for everyone to, to come and sit down in our restaurant and experience the food as it, as it comes out of the kitchen. But I also understand that everyone has their own priorities and lives and schedules and um, preferences. And so uh, that, was, that was a small transition for us. Um, but also as we think about you know, what the business or future businesses will look like um, next year, five years from now, um, you know, what kind of... Um, kind of handrails can we put in place now that will um, allow things to, to be easier for us in the future, whether that's um, 
staffing models or um, supply chain models, things like that. Um, it's, I, I don't know that there's a really good answer um, because you know, there wasn't a good answer two years ago. I'm still not sure that we have a great solution, um, but continuing to show up every day and, and try and, and work for something better than it was yesterday, I think is all we can do. Not all we can do, but a good step. Um, I have a kind of an interesting story. Uh, when COVID first hit, we um, this was when we were still uh, a farm market stall, and we were um, doing what's called farm in a box. So we had a selection of eggs and produce, and and um, I had started baking sourdough bread to go in the box as well. Um, so we were, you know, we were about to do the spring kickoff in March, and COVID hit, and they almost closed down the market um, for, you know, all the reasons that everywhere else closed. And, uh, and market management got together and decided to, you guys may know about this, uh, they decided to make Farmer's Market of the Ozarks drive through which is completely crazy and awesome. And uh, so basically all the vendors who usually gather under a pavilion that time of year, we stretched out into a very long line and literally people just drove from vendor to vendor to vendor. And after about two weeks of doing it, it became two lanes. And literally people were waiting for two hours. And you may, may remember, it literally like looped all the way around Farmer's Park. It was absolutely amazing. Our, I mean, because the store shelves were all, they were empty. You couldn't get, you couldn't get eggs. You couldn't get bread. And there was several weeks, a couple of months where that was uh, pretty sketchy. And, um, and so suddenly people came out of the woodwork and it was actually really amazing. We had, I mean, it was the opposite experience to a lot of restaurant owners that we, we basically doubled, tripled our sales for the day for several months, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, but then as soon as, as, soon as the, um, the stores started to be stocked in the grocery stores again, uh, people just sort of gradually disappeared, and um, that was pretty disheartening, and it, uh, sorry to be a downer, <laughs> but um, uh, we really had to pivot because suddenly is, it, it was like people, I don't know, it just made us think different about what we were doing and how important it, it actually is to people. Uh, and uh, and this isn't, it wasn't a new experience because as a farm, um, there's a lot of people that uh, they, and this is no offense to anyone who really tries to buy local, but um, there's a there's a support element, support local farms. Um, you know, they're they're these they're struggling. They're and actually we're business owners, and we have every right to make a profit off of what we're doing. And it's particularly hard as a farmer. It takes months and months and months to have beef to process, to have lamb to process, to raise uh, chickens or ducks, to lay eggs. And it is, it is very stressful and, um, and 
there's a lot of risk involved. And what basically what we did is we had all this business, and so we basically doubled or tripled our production to keep up with that, and then everybody disappeared. And so, so I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of work that can be done to change that and to keep people coming around. But we basically pivoted, and um, bread was an obvious comfort to people during that time. They like baked goods, I mean, come on. And um, so I just increased that. And I basically just turned us into a bakery rather than a farm. And we still use all the farm goods, but we basically, it's all value added. So we take the raw farm product and we turn it into something else. And it's really been hugely successful for us, but it was a really, it, we really had to shift our mindset in order to get there. And now we've, we've turned ourselves again into the all-weather cafe, which is espresso and European-inspired pastries, which is a huge evolution, but it kind of makes sense because it's all good food and it's what people want. So um, anyways, that's where we're at right now. I really won't add a lot to what um, folks have said so far, but um, I, I think it was really just a... Um, surreal experience, you know, thinking back to March 2020 when none of us really knew what was going to happen next. And I remember kind of turning the key in the door when we kind of had to shut down and just really wondering when the store might open up again. That was because we had always been open. So those are really the first days we'd ever closed the store. So it was um, pretty devastating and staff were scared, the community was scared. Um, and so I think from my vantage point, I'm beginning to dislike that word pivot but I recognize it's really our new reality. And so I think, I think for places like ours and many of the commercial street merchants, we are continuing to evolve. So one of the simple things we've done, we're just not open to 10 o'clock at night anymore, we open to eight o'clock. But I think you know, our customers have come back and we've even you know, found a lot of new customers. But the commercial street historic district, because all the buildings are side by side, it doesn't lend itself to drive-throughs and walk-ups and some of those more traditional pivots that many places have been able to do just because of our streetscape itself. So we have to look at other ways to reimagine and to pivot, if you will, for what's to come. And so I think we are still looking at what are some of the things we can make. So, I mean, we've done that with technology. We've done that with kind of, as you were saying, Daniel, with the to-go experience. But I am still I'm doing a lot of reading and trying to think about how do we continue to evolve? Because we recognize that many people have really changed their habits. You know, there are some things you do in a couple of months, but when something's over a year, two years, people change. I know some people who really still don't go out. And so how do we reach those people? How do we respond to them? And so I'm still looking at what can be some things we're doing in the months to come to be a part of this new normal, if you will. Um, and I think something that is a bit of a theme here is uh, and I'm sure you guys have noticed across pretty much every business is that hours have shortened and selections have narrowed. Um, and that's something that we did. Uh, you mentioned hours, you mentioned kind of changing, having all of this you know, uh, produce and farm and narrowing that into a bakery and we had to do that as well. Um, and it, it does make things a little more niche. Um, which I think is okay, especially in this whole conversation we're talking about supporting local. Um, and so, you know, it it doesn't have to be all things to all people. Um, I think that's okay as long as, you know, 
we're still playing our game and we're being true to who we are and we're still doing the thing that we did to get into this in the first place. Um, I think that's that's the important thing is that we continue, we as, as business owners and restaurateurs continue to do the things that um, uphold our brand and allow our brand to continue to move forward in this new normal. So Lyle, I think this um, next topic is probably gonna be directed a lot at you just with your experience, but obviously I invite Jenny and Daniel to contribute. Um, so I wanted to bring up what you've already brought up, which is Commercial Street. So there's been a lot of revitalization in Springfield in recent years, notably in the Commercial Street District, um, which included a ton of great restaurants and local businesses. And I want to point out how um, how great it is to see diverse restaurant offerings, offering different kinds of food that um, you don't see in, in bigger cities even. And it's found here in Springfield, and I love that. Um, so, and I, something that really stuck with me from some of our conversations leading up to this, this talk here was you opened your business 15 years ago, back before a lot of this revitalization happened, and something that you were told was, you, you were basically given the keys and said, good luck, you won't be here in a year, you know, and, and here you are 15 years later, and that's amazing. And so as somebody who has been a business owner on Commercial Street and watched a lot of this revitalization happen. Um, talk a little bit about what it's like to be a business that has witnessed the revitalization and, and kind of in a, on a, a broader note, what roles do local businesses and restaurateurs play when areas start to revitalize? That's an interesting question, but I think it's also a very important question. Um, and I remember very clearly, um, that was what I would call kind of a ragtag kind of group of um, merchants um, at the time when we first opened. And to be candid, the street was known for people not being sure what hours various storefronts would be open. I remember people coming to Big Mama's and saying, when is the place over here and this place open? And we'd say, well, when they get there. And so we were very intentional about making sure that we were open the hours that we stated. Um, and we really were in those infancy stages. And as we began to gather merchants and kind of create a merchant community on the street. Um, probably about six months after we had been open, um, as people became a little more familiar with me, um, several people came to me and said, hey, we want to tell you something. And I said, what's that? They said, most of us had a bet on the street that you all wouldn't last 30 days. And then that's when the gravity of it all hit me, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but, um, you know, you just kind of were in that space of you just had ideas and your brain was working, the adrenaline was flowing. And you saw, somehow you saw this being a possibility. But I will say that looking back today, I love to say that I really had believed even in those days that Commercial Street was going to revitalize. It was going to redevelop. We had several very strong headwinds, notably the 2007-2008 recession. So there were some things that we you know, were not responsible for. I think sometimes too, I've learned, and this is, you know, you can take it the way you want to, but I think sometimes the city policy leaders often chase the very large companies, the conglomerates, the developers. And I think they oftentimes neglect that really a lot of development in communities like ours come from the people who are already invested. If you look at what's happened on Commercial Street, people like Joe Gitman with Cafe Cusco, he then opened up Chabon, he then opened up Van Gogh's. You look at Sean Askinosi, a lot of our redevelopment is taking place from people who are already engaged in the street 
and saw the vision and possibility. So yes, we now think about it as an international restaurant row, which is actually incredible, because I remember years ago when I saw, this is gonna sound funny to you all, but when I saw the first couple with the stroller going down the sidewalk, I'm like, C Street is probably going to make it because we were known for many other things besides couples <laughs> with babies. And then a few months later, I saw somebody walking a dog. I'm like, yes, we're gonna survive. Because um, those things were um, very rare sightings in those um, early days of Commercial Street. But I think there's been a real strong intentionality. And I am very humbled by it all. So I, I, when I say things like what I'm about to say, I honestly don't take it any credit for it. It's really the customers who've supported us. But a number of people on Commercial Street today, Joe Gibman for one of them, they really did come to us and say, we saw that you survived. We want to come. So people, I think from a distance, really liked the possibilities. But that was just a really clear uncertainty. Can we really survive in this, um, <laughs> in this wasteland that people saw it at the time? But actually, the lofts and kind of the redevelopment and some pretty cool things that are on the horizon, I think, have positioned us now where we're trying to think, um, how do we keep the spirit of Commercial Street alive as opposed to what some may worry about gentrification? Prices are now beginning to rise in terms of um, spaces for lofts and spaces for storefronts. So, you know, the local people who can have their own local restaurant, their business, may not be able to afford that five years from now. It might be a national chain comes to Commercial Street, which would be a very significant pivot, if you will, for our street. But we have really appreciated what has happened to this point, and I think there are more good things ahead. I'll speak briefly um, about... Uh, this topic sort of more at large rather than just on Commercial Street, but um, in developing areas or uh, places that are being revitalized, restaurants, I think, can play a really significant role because they extend the hours, uh, they bring pedestrian traffic, um, it kind of keeps the lights on uh, of the street later at night, uh, which also helps to make those spaces safer. Uh, because, yeah, if it's all law offices and everyone packs up and goes home at 5 o'clock, um, then there's really no, um, there's not a lot going on, uh, you know, on that street after, say, 5 o'clock. And, and so it can, it can go whichever way. Um, but restaurants are, you know, bars and restaurants are open till 10, 11, midnight later, and it, it allows there to be foot traffic, it allows people to be, to have a reason to go to that neighborhood or that street, et cetera. Um, and it um, gives that area a little more visibility. Um, and so it can make those, those areas uh, safer and more comfortable and more approachable uh, throughout the day and evening rather than just like, well, sun's getting low, better go home type of situation. Okay, I have one more question that I, I would like each of you to answer before we're moving on to our audience questions. So um, if anybody has question cards, feel free to raise them up and uh, someone from our staff will come grab those. Um, so how can everyday people be better engaged and better support this food movement, this local food movement in, in Springfield? And who else should we know about in the Springfield area that's doing really great work in these ways? Other than yourselves, of course. <laughs> uh, well, we were actually just talking about this uh, amongst ourselves before the panel got started. Um, 
and I think one of the, the big ways, obviously, is like, well, go support local. Go buy the thing. Go to the, the bar, the restaurant, the, caf the cafe, the farm stand, et cetera. Um, but it's also uh, be an enthusiastic guest. Be an adventurous guest. Try things that are out of your comfort zone. Engage with the business um, rather than going and getting the thing that you that's safe, that you know you'll like, or that you think you have an idea about. Try something new. Ask the ask the staff there. Like, what do they like? What are they into right now? What's really good here right now? Because, you know, they're there every day. They this is their job. They they know it. They know what's really good right now. Or or if you have uh, a preference about X Y Z, they can steer you towards uh, something that you'll enjoy. Um, and simply with with restaurants, it's you know, tell your friends. Bring your friends. Um, and you know, leave a good review, talk to the server, engage with the server, um, be complimentary, whether that's uh, in person or online afterwards. Um, people love to hear when they're doing a good job. People love to hear, like, thank you so much, this was a great meal. Um, people love to, business owners love to see good reviews online. Um, those types of things, but also um, get, Get the bottle of wine, have dessert, stay for coffee, have the espresso, do treat yourself, splurge a bit, enjoy the experience, um, go into it with an open mind of, of being excited to be there and excited to um, let them take care of you. Uh, it's something that we preach and coach all the time at the restaurant is, you know, we're in the hospitality industry and so we we're, we're so grateful to have guests in and we it's our job to to give you the best experience as possible and that's what we want to do and we want like help us help you um and so all of that to say uh a lot of times you know if i take food to a table and be like oh well how is is there a special way to eat this or engage with it enthusiastically is always my answer um, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to eat food or, or to enjoy a restaurant as, as long as you're doing it uh, in earnest and enthusiastically. Um, and as far as, you know, other people uh, doing great things in the community, um, there's, there's a sentiment that someone shared with me, like, I don't think there's a, a best restaurant or, a, or this or that. Um, it's kind of like... NBA power rankings, like it can change day to day or week to week, um, just depending on a lot of things, depending on, uh, you know, maybe they're short staffed or someone's sick or someone uh, had XYZ issue. Um, we, we all do our best to be as consistent as possible, um, but sometimes uh, we are all humans. And so I think understanding also as a guest that um, you are a human and we are humans um, and we want to do our best, and we want to give you the, the best experience possible. But, um, I mean, we've all been to restaurants and had subpar experiences, right? And we've all been to places that we have been excited for or have had great experiences. We go back, and it just wasn't quite the same. Um, and I think that's another way to support restaurants is to not write restaurants off if there's one um, miss or or poor experience or subpar thing um, because uh, restaurants are living, breathing organisms that change and uh, they're in flux and they're, they're made of imperfect people as well. Um, 
And so I think grace is a really important uh, aspect to, to what we do as well. Um, but people I really like around town. Um, first of all, like some of our, our farmers are fantastic. Um, uh, Newman Farm, where we get all of our pork down in the boot heel. Uh, Peace Valley, uh, I know you can get them in uh, Mama Jean's and some other places. Urban Roots, uh, which is just two blocks from here. You can go and uh, get veggies from their farm stand anytime. Uh, Millsap Farms as well is doing a fantastic job. Um, and then Coffee Ethic is one of my favorite places for coffee. Um, Good Spirits and Company sort of as a whole, the Golden Girl Rum Club, Best of Luck, Cherry Picker. Um, I really enjoy those places. Um, the, we were talking about this before, the, the Galloway area, the Roundtree area, C Street, those are all gold mines of wonderful local people and businesses um, really investing in their community. Um, someone that, that really impacted uh, my partner and I when we were first, uh, well, when we were still doing pop-ups was uh, John, and, John and Karen McQuarrie um, who own the Vandevort downtown. And uh, the Vandevort is a beautiful space um, that could really exist in any city. Um, it's lovely. Um, they do such a good job there. And Karen told me, you know, we could have opened this anywhere, um, but we've seen so many people, so many young, talented people over the years um, pick up, pack up, and move elsewhere to pursue their dream or to, to try and find their calling or to manifest X, Y, Z. Um, but we chose to, rather than uh, plant this in Chicago or Bentonville or St. Louis or Kansas City, we chose to really invest in our city and our community because we believe in it. And so every step along the way that we can uh, support our local people who are really investing in our community uh, to make not only their dream possible, but the dreams for other people. Because, you know, I'm telling you this story now, it was one of the big tailwinds w that we had as we opened Progress is, well, if John and Karen can believe in, in Springfield enough to open the Vandevort, then, then we should too. Um, and so I just hope that more businesses continue to stay and grow and thrive uh, so that Springfield as a whole continu can continue to grow and thrive and have more great stuff that continues to, to open up. Um, I'm going to go back to the farmer's market on this and also what Daniel was saying about uh, if you're going to get into buying local and sustainably and all that good stuff, you have to be willing to try something new. And But the farmer's market is the best place to do that because you can go and just spend like 10 or 15 bucks and buy four or five vegetables that you've never even seen before because they don't even exist at regular grocery stores here in town. and. Not only that, but those vegetables that you buy from those people, you can talk directly to the farmer and ask them what they are. How do they cook them? How do they prepare them? And everyone there is perfectly open to all your questions, myself included. Um, and 
another another really good thing about the farmer's market is that it's seasonal. And the farmer's market of the Ozarks is open year round as well as Greater Springfield, I think. And um, so if you're really curious about what kinds of foods are available seasonally, go in April and whatever food is on the table, that's what's seasonal. And you can really, really learn a lot that way and try new things. And on top of that, uh, I think I think all three markets in town, they do, um, they do SNAP tokens. So even if you're lower income, you can go and you can exchange your uh, your your SNAP dollars for tokens and exchange that for produce and whatever other food is there. And it's amazing. And you can really try something new that you wouldn't normally find at any regular grocery store. And it's it's welcoming. It's it's a, just a great place to be. And the um, another thing with the SNAP is that they do a, um, it's called double double up bucks, I can't remember exactly, but they're like slightly larger tokens and you can trade in your SNAP dollars and literally get half price off, off of all your produce. Produce and honey, I think, are included in it. And I mean, it's cheaper than the grocery store. It's amazing. So that's a good place to go. If, you're, if anyone is interested in spreading their horizons food-wise, and it's on top of that, it is the best quality. It is fresh. It is literally picked the day before, and then they bring it to market. It's harvested. It's 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 perfect. It's not out of the box something from Walmart. And if if you're trying to open your horizons with food, the flavor is so much better. The, I mean, everything is just so much better. You will learn to love vegetables that you never thought you would. So that's it. <laughs> I'm going to um, take a slightly different approach for part of my comments. And I do want to just really appreciate Daniel for kind of asking you all to extend grace. Perhaps that's a, w a word I would say when, when folks may, ha may have a day that's just slightly off. I, I find it sometimes um, interesting the um, the overnight food critics that oftentimes go into places and leave these very, very long reviews and critique everything that the person has eaten and never think about, you know, well, what's what's the goal? Do you want to shut them down? Or what's, what's really the purpose of this? Uh, so um, I'm going to offer what I would describe as a cautionary tale because even though we have a tremendous array of restaurants in our city, I would just say, and I know that you all are the exception because you're here tonight, but I think there's a message in all of this to not take them for granted because many places are really still on the margins. The pandemic is not over for the restaurant community. There's a lot of national data that suggests, depending on which article you read, 20 to 40% of restaurants still can close in this country. I'm not gonna say about Springfield in particular, but I do have a vantage point that I think the Humanities Council asked me to just comment on, I've had the um, unusual position of working with Greene County um, with the CARES stimulus funding and now with the American Rescue Plan Act. So the, the reality is I've actually been in a position of seeing the actual applications from small businesses looking for economic assistance through stimulus funding. And today we actually opened up the small business application for the American Rescue Plan Act funding and many of the people applying are restaurants. And I can tell you that today, the first day, we've gotten 200 applications. 
And so my point is, you know, think about what our community would be like if 10, 20, 30 places that you enjoy were no longer here. And just because our lights are on, um, just because we have some people smiling, it doesn't mean that all the bills are paid. That place could be very much at risk. So think about that as we support our restaurants. And I'm going to say something that sounds a little weird. It doesn't always have to be something. That both of the, my colleagues have encouraged you to try something different. And I'm going to say it might not even be your genre at all. Buy a gift card. Give it to somebody. Just put some money in the counter. Put something in the tip jar to help that new place stay open. One of the cool things about Commercial Street, which is another open secret, we jokingly call it Black Wall Street in Springfield. For those of you who know the story of Tulsa, you know that Tulsa actually had the real Black Wall Street in our nation. But we have to, depending on which way you count it, six to seven African-American-owned businesses in that six-block historic district. When you think about the diversity of Springfield, I think that's pretty incredible. And some of those business owners, like Blue Styles, they opened um, about a year and a half after Big Mama's opened, and they're still there. Then there are some new places that are still open. Now, you may not be getting your hair braided, and it's not a restaurant. But if you think that that diversity of businesses is important to this community in terms of making us a community that's, you know, that's attractive to other companies that will come to Springfield because it's changing, because it's responsive, that might be something you'll consider. And the same thing, there are new restaurants there, you know, Jamaican Patty, and there, there are many different, and some of them, I'm like, that ain't my thing either. But in the spirit of just supporting local businesses and wanting to see them become successful. And some of those um, businesses may not have had, you know, I didn't have a strategic plan. You know, I know all of the things, you know, looking at, you know, folks from jury, they're like, you know, they've got a business school, you're supposed to have a market analysis. And uh, I, I understand, I had to go back and backfill. I just had an idea <laughs> and, and, and a lot of, lot of passion. And so I think, I, I think the first two years I was just running on passion. So I understand now. So now we've got the e-factory and the small business assistance, and we've got the score, and all of that's incredible. But I also know you've got to show up each day. And I am tremendously impressed by the entrepreneurs in this city. And this city is a place that you can be 23 years old and open a business. Try that in Chicago where the rents are $8,000 for about the space of this, these three, four tables. You can't do that. It's a place that you can pursue your dreams, but they need your support, and sometimes we will have to backfill that support. So you guys believe, tell your neighbors, tell your friends to support our local restaurants. It's still very difficult. The cost of food, the cost of inflation, the cost of labor, the supply chain shortages. I have incredible respect for people who turn the key every day, not knowing what's going to happen. I'm a weather geek, and sometimes I watch Color 10 and KY3, tomorrow is a weather alert day. I'm like, would y'all please be quiet? Because there are some people who are going to say, I'm not going to go out today because they said it's going to snow. Now, the sun is shining, <laughs> but they still say it's going to snow sometime that day. And you actually see the difference in your business. So Thank you. I got one witness right here. So I'm saying a lot, but that's because I'm very passionate. But think about maybe doing something out the box. Maybe you don't eat that genre of food. Maybe you don't even like Big Mama's coffee. Just buy a gift card. Next time you're giving out a gift at your office or somewhere, do something different because these businesses, trust me, they need your support and your support in the past has kept us open. 
So we're going to move on to audience questions. And um, I know so for the for the sake of time, and I know we're over on time, so I appreciate you all. And, and please, you know, I know it's over. So if, if you guys have somewhere to be, we understand. But we would love you to stick around for audience questions if you're able. Um, so for the sake of time, um, I'll pose the question. And, and whoever, I guess, feels they can answer it, feel free. Um, it's kind of a, a joint question because we have two questions that are kind of similar. Um, what do you see as the food trends in Springfield? And the second part was what direction do you see the future of food going locally? So kind of a, a related-ish question. So food trends in Springfield or the direction of um, local food? That's a Daniel question. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but... <laughs> Uh, it's funny, I, I spent the first several years of my professional career uh, simply following food trends uh, for a company, uh, and I haven't I've been out of the game for a while. Um, and when you narrow that to simply Springfield, um, it becomes a really interesting proposition. I was having a conversation with someone uh, just a couple weeks ago about, like, well, what's the next um, sort of it country or it culture? Um, and that's a really good question. I don't know if it's any specific uh, cultural answer or regional answer or stylistic answer. Um, I would hope that it's something along the lines of people caring about where their food comes from um, and understanding where their food comes from um, because you know, I think for a long time, people just showed up to restaurants and sort of took the space for granted, um, which sounds harsh, but maybe they didn't take it for granted. Maybe they just didn't think too terribly much about all the things going on behind the scenes. Um, and so uh, I would hope that if there's a trend in the food world, at least in Springfield, that people will start to realize that, um, as Lyle was just saying, that these are real people and real businesses that really need your support um, and that the food does come from somewhere and so where does it come from? Um, is it being you know made there on site? Is it being um, sourced locally? Is it being thoughtfully um, executed? Um, I'll stop there. <laughs> okay so um what are some ways that you or businesses or maybe businesses that you are familiar with in this area um, aim to combat food waste or food insecurity? Um, I know that there's uh, several composting um, agencies, uh, companies around Springfield that um, will bring compost bins and, and allow you to uh, turn your, your waste into compost that can then, uh, you know, go back into the, the supply chain because we're fertilizing our soil and that's where the food comes from. Um, I know that that is, is a big one. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies, whether they make a big deal about it or, or are making an Instagram post about their green initiatives. I think a lot of companies um, are are taking more care about, you know, uh, are our bags recyclable? Is our to-go container eco-friendly? Is it compostable? Is is are the choices we're we're making behind the scenes um, good for the world as a whole? 
Um, I'm, I'm a little off topic here, but um, I mean, that's what, that's what I know as far as um, some things. I know, I know for progress, like we, we do make an effort to um, help people that are underprivileged. Uh, we've, we've partnered with Eden Village several times. Uh, we're actually going and cooking dinner there Sunday. Um, and so, again, it's, it's may, maybe not what you see on Instagram or, um, you know, the, the flashy compostable container isn't, like, super clickable. Um, but I think, you know, people definitely have, uh, over the years, been more aware about how they're impacting the world around them and how they can do better. Well, and I'll call back on something that Jenny mentioned, you know, the farmer's market, I think, with the, the SNAP tokens is a great example of, of combating food insecurity and, and providing a way for people to support local while still, you know, making a choice that's that's right for their, their income level and, and for their families and choosing to, to, to support local in that way. So I think that, that fits in, definitely. That's great. Um, so... What, other than COVID, has been your biggest challenge, especially with local sourcing? Well, um, <laughs> for me, one of our biggest challenges, kind of year one, year one and a half, um, was understanding sort of the demographic in the city that we were dealing with. Um, you know, we're, we're still kind of tweaking and honing what we cook and how we cook. Um, and, you know, year one, I, I had to swallow the, the hard pill that Nordic minimalism wasn't necessarily going to fly. Um, and I got... I got really tired of making like clever food that you had to get um, to to appreciate and that had to be explained to you as to why you should like it. Um, and it was it was not it was not connective for people. It was um, it was really frustrating for me to see people not connect with something that we worked. Uh, a really long time uh, to create and put all this blood, sweat, and tears into and have people be like, I, I don't get it, or I don't <laughs> like it. Um, and so uh, I know we definitely had to, and the same thing with our wine program. Um, you know, we could have this big list of esoteric wines that um, won't make any sense to you on paper and that you've never heard of, um, unless someone explains it to you and it, it, it's only going to go with like this exact dish. Um, so we had to find a way to bridge the gap to make ourselves more accessible uh, while still being true to ourselves and not losing um, sort of our, our voice or our integrity. Um, and, and it was a learning curve for sure. Um, but we, I think we've definitely gotten much better at it. Um, like I said, I, I'm tired of making, I don't want to make clever food or um, food that feels like an, an inside joke to someone. 
Okay, uh, last audience question. Um, and I think, Jenny, you kind of touched on this a little bit um, about sourcing locally, and I guess it's kind of the off season, so December to March in this region of the country. Um, thoughts on uh, difficulties? Yeah, how difficult it is. Well, it is much more difficult to source locally when it's still freezing cold outside. But there are quite a few farms that still produce year-round. It's amazing what they, can, what they can produce and what you can still get when it's freezing outside and you just wouldn't think that anything's even growing. But uh, they're pretty innovative as far as how they grow, where they grow. So it, um, they keep things warmer than you'd think and uh, they keep them growing. I think that a creative way to deal with that is to think about what you want to eat, what you want to cook, uh, design your menu around those things that you can get because it is difficult. You're not gonna be able to get you know, your tomatoes, obviously, strawberries. You're not gonna be able to get that kind of stuff. So um, if you do want to source locally, during those months, you just you just have to be creative. So well, and I think it's uh, we get kind of hung up on thinking about farming as specifically produce, um, but for for consumers, there's uh, there's meat, there's dairy, there's poultry, there's there's all sorts of other local good ingredients that are still uh, being produced and farmed year round that aren't um, just tomatoes. All right, well, thank you so much to all three of you, Lyle, Jenny, and Daniel, for your insights, as well as your dedication to nourishing your community in more ways than one. Thank you. <laughs> wow, what a great evening that was. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our Think and Drink, and we hope you enjoyed this slight shakeup from our typical podcast format. I loved hearing from Dr. Foster, Jenny, and Chef Ernst, and how much passion, creativity, and heart they have put into their business efforts, but also into supporting the Springfield community and in other local businesses. There's a spirit of collaboration and so much pride and support throughout this conversation. I loved that too. I think it was the perfect way to kick off the symposium and really get people thinking and feeling energized and ready to dig into that theme of sustenance and sustainability. Thanks again so much to Lyle, Daniel, and Jenny for spending the evening with us and making us all think critically about the relationship between food, local businesses, and community. And with that said, I'm really excited to tease the theme for our next episode, where we'll talk all about foraging and wild edibles right here in the Show Me State. I am really excited for the next episode. We'll be talking with Bo Brown, founder and director of First Earth Wilderness School and author of Foraging the Ozarks, Finding, Identifying, and Preparing Wild Foods in the Ozarks. We'll be touching on the popularity of foraging wild edibles, the history, the benefits, the dangers, the ethics, and sustainability of foraging. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. 
To learn more about our 2022 signature series, visit mohumanities.org backslash food. This podcast is brought to you by Missouri Humanities. Please help us share these stories by sharing episodes with friends, family, and on your social media platforms. If you are listening on an app, don't forget to follow us and leave a review. I'm Lisa Carrico, and we hope you'll tune in for future episodes of Eat, Think, and Be Merry as we explore more of Missouri's foodways and edible history and connect through food.